Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Next tonight, Max Boyce finds out what it's like to be an American footballer as he spends four weeks in the company of the Dallas Cowboys. That's in a matter of minutes. Welcome to Any Given Wednesday, episode X. We did it, Bubs. X already, I can't believe it. That's it, double digits, or well, single. Or single, isn't it? Single yeah. numerals. Bloody yeah. Roman numerals. <laughs> yes, it's episode X of Any Given Wednesday. We've already done double digits and triple digits, and now we're back to single again. You see, it doesn't make any sense, just use numbers. Romans, bloody idiots. This is the podcast that still can't get its head around a team that has gone seven and nine, making the playoffs on a losing season, when a team that's got nine and seven will have to miss out. Just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that's divisions, man. Get over it. This week, we're going to be looking at another dynasty, the triple Super Bowl winning triplets of the early 90s. How about them Dallas Cowboys? And in particular, we're going to be looking beyond their trio of superstars at the real reason behind, or should we say in front of their success, the Great Wall of Dallas. What one a of the, great name. Yeah, one of the great offensive lines in uh, NFL history. So I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you about that aspect of the game. So I don't think we've really touched on that yet. Um, I am rookie NFL fan Tom Parry. And speaking of Cowboys, I am joined by my good friend and veteran NFL enthusiast, political firebrand. He's Hollywood handsome. He's Cowboy tough. He got banged up with an injury recently. They had the tent up on the sidelines for him, but he stuck himself on the physio's table, said, cortisone me up to the eyeballs and strap me up, Doc. I'm going back into the ball game. It's Mr. Mike Bubbins, everyone. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom. I, mean, I think the actual week was you just writing the intro. That was brilliant. <laughs> that was, that was, that was superb, mate. Thank you. I was uh, NFL COVID protocol. I had to miss a podcast. That's the way that it works. I'm glad you're healthy and well and, and, and back to full fitness. The thing that the thing that I was thinking about with you getting COVID like that is when I'm watching the NFL and a player gets COVID, the first thing I picture is that they've been out partying or like 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 you know like it's like like yeah. they've been breaking protocol. 
Yeah. But I, I didn't assume that. We, I don't think it's the same for podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> I can safely say I have not partied since about 2003. Yeah. I've been playing it safe for 17 years, Tom. Well, I still got it. Strict social distancing going on in Bubbins Bar, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my wife, fair play to her. She's a teacher, so uh, she has been keeping well away from me since well before the pandemic. <laughs> you <know>. Any excuse? <laughs> you know, just, in, case the, in case there was a pandemic, yeah. And uh, are you back in Bubbins Bar this week? Back in Bubbins Bar Grill, yeah. Yeah, I was in here last night watching the football. Um, yeah, I'll be watching uh, the, the Monday night game tonight, Pittsburgh. Obviously, we don't, we don't really get too topical, we never do, but I'll be in here again tonight, Tom. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, yeah, I know we're not topical, but it's kind of the point of the season where it's gearing up for the playoffs. And it's something I forget every year. It's something that the NFL does so well over mm. other sports is the whole system of the the postseason and like yeah. the whole playoff where where the games just take on a whole new element and what you get in the NFL is you get like a league setup and yeah. then you suddenly shift into a cup tournament all within one glorious season it's such a brilliant match you know do you know what other other sports have tried it so a rugby league have got a similar thing now they do a similar thing with uh, rugby union in England I know that you know you can win the league and then uh, then it's the, the sort of knockout phase but in the NFL it's always been not always but but certainly since the 20s right that this is the way that it works that you have this knockout phase it's not like a it's not like a, a bolt on to the season this is part of the season so and it doesn't and people know that it doesn't matter if you finish 15 and 1 doesn't matter if you finish 7 and 9 you could still win the Super Bowl the league part of it which as Brits we sort of like you said on the, on the intro, wrap your head around the fact that a 7-9 or nine team can go to the playoffs. Not just that, they could win it. And no one's going to say that they don't deserve to be Super Bowl champions because they would be if they, if, they, if they win their way through the playoffs. Once you get into that postseason, any team could beat any team on their day. It's just, it just becomes so so exciting that no one has the right to get to the Super Bowl. And I think we'll yeah. touch on that today with like when we're looking at great teams that have stumbled. And, and it's to do again with the draft and it's to do with, with salary cap, do with no promotion, no relegation. Yeah, you get into that. It's, it's fine margins in the NFL. Fine margins. There's very rarely more than a score or two between teams in the NFL. Speaking of fine margins, and I know I know gambling stories are never that interesting, but I just wanted to share this with you very quickly. Mm. Four weeks ago, I did an NFL sweepstake. I normally do it. I put two quid on, stick stick in like twelve games. <laughs> the minute and, you uh, walked in right? the joint, <laughs> <laughs> I stuck two quid on. Yeah, and because the odds were so ridiculous over twelve games, if it had come in, I'd have won. A grand and a half, right? Oh, the on. first first six games happen, and I'm up. All those games come in. It goes into the last game window, and I'm watching them, and the, the scores are up and down all over the place. It gives me the option to cash out on 60 quid, and I think, do you know what? I put two quid on, 60 quid. I've got a new baby. I'll take it. I cashed out for 60 quid. All of the games went my way. Shut up. All of the games went my way, and I cashed oh, out on 60 quid. Tom. Missed out. I know, I know gambling stories are never that fun, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back to a sweepstake on the NFL now. Cause... You're, you're going to beat yourself up over this. You Just think of yourself as being £58 better off. You're a very philosophical man, Bubbins. That's, that's the advice I needed yeah. to hear. Don't think you're a dick. Don't think you should have held out. Don't think that anyone else would have held out in that situation. Thanks, Just man. console yourself on the fact that, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Oh, it's a tough night. It was a really tough watch. It was basically the end of Deal or No Deal, where I was watching the late games, hoping that the teams that I'd bet for would lose. Uh, shocker. Are you, so you joined us from Bubbins Bar. Have you got any memorabilia to bring to the table uh, this week? Oh, yeah. What can I, 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 that's what I'll pick today. I'll pick my... I've got a Ray Nitschke, like a 12-inch high uh, action figure. 
Oh, so nice. Ray Nitschke was the uh, number 66 for the uh, Packers in the, the Super Bowl one and two. Great player, Ray Nitschke. He, uh, he wrote a book called Mean on Sunday because he was like this really nice fella off the field who adopted kids and, and was a real big family man who turned his life around because he had a bit of a tough upbringing. But on the field, he was like the archetypal sort of 60s, early 70s football player. Take his teeth out for the game. Yes. Played mean. So, uh, he was in things like The Longest Yard as a, as a sort of guest actor. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pick my 12-inch high Ray Nitschke uh, collectible uh, figurine that is in my Green Bay Packers niche in the corner of my bar. What condition is it in, Mike? Is it in mint condition? It's in mint condition. It is in mint. I, I'm, I am very OCD about that sort of thing. My wife... If, if Kelly walks through a room, it's like a whirlwind's gone through a, a room, right? <laughs> Whereas I am the opposite of that, so... It is in mint condition. Beautiful. mint condition. Yeah. Very nice. I look forward to seeing it. Um, as always, we're on uh, Twitter at any given wed pod. Just to read out a couple of your... Uh, keep getting in touch. We always like to hear from you. Let's read out a couple of your mm. messages. Charlie Talbot got in touch. I really like the way Charlie Talbot's got away with words here. He said... He talked about red zone, right? Which I know you disagree with. He said, I love mm. red zone. I think it's the most extraordinary sport viewing available anywhere. And then he described it as simultaneously zen and yet ADHD at the same time. And I think that is a do, really good way you know of describing it. He put that on last night, didn't he? Because I was watching, yeah. I was watching the, the Dolphins game, and it wasn't a particularly brilliant game. And I was tempted, I thought, shall I watch Red Zone? Because I almost watched Red Zone on the back of Charlie's tweet. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it a go next week. It's, Maybe I'll uh, keep it's a really go. good way to describe it. It's testament to Scott Hansen. That's what he does. Simultaneously zen and yet ADHD at the same time. Because he's leaping from here to there to here to there. But you just feel across everything. It gives Do they show the sacks or just the touchdowns? What are they? Yeah, they show big okay. plays, basically. But it's, but it's, it's mostly, I imagine it's mostly, ori- when they're, mostly when they're down in the red zone. Offensively yeah. oriented, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, but, fair enough. But it's, it's, definitely worth, it's definitely worth checking out. And it gives you a sense of being across the whole kind of league, especially if you're a newbie to the sport, if you're still looking for your team, if you're still trying to get a sense of what's what, I think it does give you that chance to cover, you know, to cover your bases, really. Well, here's my tip for the newbies. I mean, I've been a very vocal critic of uh, Game Pass. Uh, uh, they seem to have sorted their act out uh, much more this season. Uh, but the Game in 40 is an absolute revelation. If you want to sit down there and watch the Game in 40 the day after, uh, you can watch a whole game with just the plays, essentially. And you watch a whole game in 40 minutes. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll watch uh, two or three live games of the weekend, and then through the week I'll watch the rest of the games on Game in 40. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the big criticisms. Of those people who aren't into the sport will always say there's too many adverts, there's too many breaks. Ridiculous. That Game in 40 something else. That's <laughs> <laughs> the Do you know what? That's a criticism. No, people say to you all the time if you're an NFL fan, oh, it's too long though, isn't it? And I think I mentioned this before. My, my counter to that is always, what is it, why, why are you in a rush? Are you, are you in a rush not to enjoy yourself with your mates? Yeah, absolutely. You know, oh, I can't wait till this finishes. Well, don't watch it in the first place then, you prick. Right? If, if a game lasts six hours, I'd be twice as happy. Yeah, that's it, I know. That's it. I just really says more about my, my, my manager or anything else. But, I mean, <laughs> overtime for me is an absolute boon, honestly. <laughs> There's a man who celebrates overtime like a touchdown. <laughs> I don't care who's playing. I'm watching the overtime game. Uh, at Stuart Phillips got in touch. I had to give a wed pod. This is just the NFL podcast I've been looking for. Bang I was a on. fan in the late 80s, early 90s. Lost touch and am now getting back into it again. Thank this you. This is what we need, Tom. This, yes, thought, this is what we need. 
And Anthony Phillips similarly says, my interest in NFL is growing thanks to this pod. Mike's other pod and several excellent Netflix series. I have no affinity to a team, but I might just decide to be a Fackers, uh, Packers fan. Sorry, not a Fackers. Fackers. <laughs> you Fackers. You Fackers. <laughs> Cock <Cockney. laughs> Who might you support decide, the Fackers? <laughs> I might just decide to be a Packers fan because <laughs> I want to be like Mike. Is this okay? Hey, come or on. Or do I need the... to be assigned a team? Ask Bubbins. Yeah. <laughs> You need something if you want to be like me. That's for sure. <laughs> You've got I'd these be, disciples, be a, Mike. Be a Packers fan, mate. Be a Packers fan. The more the, the, more the merrier. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great franchise to be a I'm part never gonna, of. I would never say to someone, don't be a Packers fan. There's yeah. other teams I like, but obviously I'm, uh, I'm green and gold, Tom. You know absolutely. This. Well, if you're still looking for a team, it's not too late for us to assign it. Get in touch. Hashtag Ash Bubbins. Ask Bubbins at any given web pod. Get in touch. Fackers. You get in touch, you fackers. (laughs) (laughs) Superb. Right, let's get into this week's topic then. Think of the greatest the field ever seen in Tripoli. Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith. Three Super Bowls, but what you expect, that's what winners get. They all in the Hall of Fame because when you bought a game. The Dallas Cowboys, the early 90s Dallas Cowboys, a dynasty, three Super Bowls. Mm. Their famous era where they had the triplets. They had Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irving. And Mm -hmm. one of the most amazing things about watching Emmitt Smith, their running back, one of the best running backs to ever play the game, is he's finding these tiny spaces and jinking through. Mm. And yet. He just looks so wide because of those shoulder pads. Oh, I know. It's just like he looks so wide. But Mike, how do you yeah, how do you feel about the franchise? How do you feel about Dallas Cowboys? It's a real dichotomy for me. Being a Welshman, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I but I'm from I'm from Wales. Bloody hell. My original even before Channel Four, my original experience of the NFL as a kid was a fellow called Max Boyce, who's a a Welsh comic, um a musician, uh and a bit of a legend in Wales, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Max Boyce. My parents had, because my mum's Welsh, she had the Max Boyce album and used to keep it on the bookcase at the top of the oh, stairs. God and from an eight, eight years old, nine years old, I'd sit at the top of the stairs and read through the Max Boyce album. Not really understanding the references, but reading all the all his songs about the Welsh rugby and everything. Absolute legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the parry's from your dad, is it? The parry is from my dad. Because that's West, a Welsh name. We're West Midlands, the parries. So, so your like, mum's Welsh. My mum's Welsh. And your dad's Welsh extraction. Yeah, exactly. There you God go. God bless you, mate. I just knew that. This is why we had an instant affinity, Tom. <laughs> that's what it is. Because so parry is, you know, parry's from App Harry. You know that, do you? No, I didn't know It means, that. means son of Harry, App. So a, a, lot of Welsh, a lot of surnames begin with a P, a Welsh name. So Parry, Price, Priday, they're all App. So App Harry, App Rhys. There you go. You know, Pritchard, ah, Pritchard. See? Now on four, Max Boyce meets the Dallas Cowboys. So Max Boyce, he, he did a series. It was like a prototype Rod Gilbert's work experience, but sort of 40 years ago, 30, 35 years ago. And he went to the States. He tried his hand at being a rodeo rider and some other things. Uh, then he, I think he went to India and played like uh, Elephant, uh, Polo, whatever he did. Yeah. But the one that stuck in my mind as a kid, and I've tried everywhere to find this, and I can't find it, he went to the Dallas Cowboys. And no one knew what American football was then, right? So he, he went over there. They said that his book, brilliant, about they talk, he talks about this. They put him in a, in a room with a fellow called Ed Tootall Jones, and the joke being he's another Welshman, he's a Jones. Six foot nine, black defensive tackle, defensive end for the Cowboys. He was his roommate. But they said they tried to get him over there to play uh, preseason with with 
the Cowboys. I, I interviewed him about this on his 70th birthday. I think he was expecting me to ask him rugby stuff. And <laughs> all I want to know is about the Dallas Cowboys. And he said, uh, and he said, so he, it was on telly. I was like 10 years of age. He got there. And he said that when he got off the plane in, te- in Texas, the, only, the way they got him in the door, the BBC, was to say that he was like a big rugby player in, back in Wales, a big rugby superstar. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he gets off the plane, and Max Boyce is about five foot six, little curly-haired little Welshman, right? He said, and I think it was Tex Schramm from the Cowboys met him on the tarmac. And he said, he walks over to him with this big entourage from the Dallas Cowboys, and he goes, uh, you Max Boyce? He goes, oh, yes, sir, I am, yeah, Max Boyce. Yeah, he goes, we thought he'd be a little bigger. Right? <laughs> At which point Max goes, I haven't been well. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, so for me, as a Welsh, as a Welsh sports nut and a Max Boyce fan, I... I loved the Cowboys because of watching that as a kid. It seemed unspeakably glamorous. And then in the 80s, that was, uh, you know, I my dad became a Redskins fan. I became a, a Packers fan. But the Cowboys were always there. They're just one of those teams that they, are, they just embody the NFL. You know, they have the, it was the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. Dallas was probably the biggest, most glamorous soap opera on TV, you know. And you saw the Cowboys end zone in the opening credits. And they were just like, they just, I didn't know what Dallas the place was like. But in my mind, it was just everything great about America. It was this dazzling city with this amazing football team. They're kind of the global brand, aren't they? You think about like Man, the, the Man United of soccer, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like and that is they do transcend the game almost. And well, I remember um, them being for sale in the eighties. Must, must have been when Jerry Jones bought them, maybe. And they, they told me, and they were talking about it on Channel Four, saying. Uh, if you've got a spare $65 million, you can buy the Dallas Cowboys. And at that time, I was like, whoa, $65 million, imagine. And now they're worth, allegedly, they're the first $5 billion sports franchise in the world. Extraordinary. It's crazy. I mean, um, so yeah, I, I have a begrudging, not begrudging, I, I love the Cowboys. You know, but I, I like the Redskins because my dad liked them, but I was obviously a Packers fan. But they were one of those teams in the back in the Channel Four days that you just knew that you could watch those all the time because they were always going to be on TV. Yeah, I have to admit, from a personal point of view, they're the, they're a team that I love to watch lose. They're the team that I always feel like I'm rooting against. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's like a sense of entitlement with the whole we're mm. America's team. You know, calling themselves America's team, and they're the one team. If Packers ever come up against them in the postseason, I love to see them beat the Cowboys. But you have to admit, what you know, there's something so cool about them. The the uniforms, the, the u- razzle dazzle, um, and particularly like we. So we're talking. I mean, like you talk about. Jerry Jones, as always with these Welsh to- boy, with all these chats. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> as always with these chats of dynasties, it is a story of an owner, but particularly in Jerry Jones's case, because he's an owner who is extremely hands-on yeah. with footballing matters, isn't he? He's a ge- he's the general manager, and he he seems to pick head coaches where he knows, you know, that they will let him be directly involved in in shaping the team. If you know anything about Welsh rugby, they spectacularly cock things up all the time at the top level. So when, when Wales won a, uh, their first Grand Slam for years and years and years with a bloke called Mike Ruddock as coach, they got rid of Mike Ruddock the next season, the Welsh Rugby Union. They thought, what are you doing? We've we waited 30 years for this, now you've been the coach off. What I couldn't believe about the Cowboys is because of that Jerry Jones dynamic that when Jimmy Johnson was there, you know, two huge personalities. Can you imagine a, 
A coach wins back-to-back Super Bowls, and he's fired the next season. I mean, he was he was pushed by Jerry Jones. Yeah, so that's what makes it's it unheard quite, of. It's quite it's a real soap opera. The story of this this Cowboys dynasty, because yeah. like you said, it's not the same head coach that delivers all three Super Bowls. It's very no. much to do with Jerry Jones and his vision of what to do with the Cowboys, and he has these two extremely different charismatic head coaches: Jimmy Johnson for the first two Super Bowls. And then, um, what was it for the second Switzer, one? Barry Switzer. Oh, Barry Switzer. Who, who's a who is real... not, not, he's not a full shilling, is he? <laughs> he's a real character. <laughs> you know, we'll get on to that, really. But um, yeah. we should yeah, we should work our way through. Uh, and, and listeners, as always, check out um, America's Game for the Super Bowl seasons. Uh, yeah. You know, 92, 93 and 95. Um, and then we'll get on to later. We watched uh, the football life, a football life documentary about... The offensive line. Uh, yeah, that's a great doctor. The, yeah, the Great Wall of Dallas. So, so we'll touch on that as well. But the story of what was going on with Dallas at the time is they had one of the legendary head coaches, Tom Landry, who had been, a, you know, a great of the game. Yeah. Who was kind of past his best, really. And the Dallas Cowboys were in a terrible state at the end of the 80s. And that's when Jerry Jones takes <laughs> over yeah. and sacks Tom Landry, who was... Which at the, the time was like... It was like the, sacrilege almost yeah he was like one of the the you know you talk about kind of curly lambo you talk about those kind of people he's he's up there as one of those legendary figures of the sport oh yeah completely and he was you know he, he was always the trilby and the, and the suit and always looked immaculate on the sideline when you look at those legendary images of nfl past and it is people like lombardi and things like that and then you see landry in his hat in the coat he is yeah. he is like the, uh, like one of those legendary I don't know ghosts of NFL past really yeah true and they got well, rid of him they did and that was a that was a huge and people forget how bad the Cowboys were like they, they were they were one in fifteen team they were the you know what what would the equivalent be this season without us being too I don't want to be, I'm not going to slag other teams out they were the, they were a very bad team they were one in fifteen they were looking to get the one. Uh, and then within two or three, literally within two or three seasons, they win the Super Bowl. I mean, it was it was crazy what they did. And a big part of that is they got Jimmy Johnson in, who was a head coach who'd never coached pro before. He was a college coach. Yeah. They got Jimmy Johnson in. They, He's great value. He, I mean, I love listening to him now still, Jimmy. He's great value, Jimmy Johnson. Really charismatic. And like that, yeah. that, that I think is what's great about this era of the Cowboys is there's some really charismatic people involved. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, really charismatic coach, and they draft Troy Aikman as quarterback. And Troy Aikman, who is, you know, people will recognise him now because he does a lot of uh, commentating. He comes in as their quarterback. And then they did that trade that we touched upon when we did draft day. They got rid of Herschel Walker and they Mm. traded, you know, the trade that was called the Great Train Robbie, and they managed to rebuild a team off the back of one trade. Yeah, and what they did was was in, I tell you what they did as well. And I didn't realize it until I watched that uh, Great Wall of Dallas doc. I I'd forgotten um, how many of those huge players, especially on the line, and that line got has been overlooked by the Hall of Fame and by by a lot by a lot of people. But it was all built on that line. They weren't big draft picks either. A lot of those were seventh rounders. Some were free agents. They were cast off from other teams. So I love it when you get when you get a group of people who've been turned down or rejected by by clubs, and they come together and think, right, we'll, we'll get, we're going to show you, 
right? We're going to show. And the Raiders did it. The Cowboys did it. And there's like the, definitely that that team. Um, you had your, you had your big, obviously the big three. So you had Aikman and, and Emmett Smith and, and Michael Irvin. Yeah, so they were they were known as the triplets, right? Yeah. So you've got Emmett Smith. But running that back. line was a beast, an absolute beast. Yeah, that's it. You've got Emmett Smith running back, one of the greatest running backs to ever play the game. Brilliant player. Troy Aikman at quarterback, and then fabulous player. And then Michael Irving, wide receiver, who was already there. He'd been there for a few years, hadn't he, Michael Irving? Who's Madison March here and extremely talented. I, I mean, like, I, I was texting my mate who's a Cowboys fan and said I'm watching, I said I'm watching all these uh, documentaries on the Cowboys and he said, oh, that must be hard for you. And I said, no matter how much I've got a beef against the Cowboys, you can't help but love Michael Irving. What a, cha- what a, cha- what a charismatic man. What a blue chip nut job. I love him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and a hell of a receiver. Troy Aikman and Michael Irving, uh, like, paired together are fantastic. There was a, I loved a bit, there was a bit in one of the docs where Irving said... Troy Aikman was so good. All I, I, he said, I'd run the route, mm. and he said, I, sometimes I just wouldn't even, I wouldn't even look for the ball because I'd just run the route and I'd put my hands out and, and, and know it was going to be there, and that, and it, the ball had hit me. <laughs> it's just amazing. When you get that connection with the quarterback and a receiver, and they definitely had it, those two, you know, like Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. That's that same sort of almost. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's almost like a telepathic. You know, the ball's going to be there, and it was there. And this is a touchdown. That is Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin is having a career day. You want to know what an all-pro looks like? He's a physical guy. He'll battle you all the way down the field. Then a salute to the fans. You ought to salute his offensive line and Troy Aikman, too. There's a fellow that is in the, the Great Wall of Dallas dock. A fellow called Jeff Pullman who wrote just a seminal football book, Boys Will Be Boys, like a real expose on that Dallas team. It's a yeah, brilliant book. The glory days and party nights of the Dallas Cowboys. It looks like it's what, on and off absolute, the pitch, Antics. It's oh, a oh, mental I'm, read. I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading that. Really Have you not read it? No, no, no. Oh, mate. Don't buy it. I'll buy it for you. And it's a fantastic read. And, and he and he's what he does, which a lot of authors don't do, is obviously he looks at the line and he, he gives the line all a load of credit, which is good. I don't think he gives Emmett Smith enough credit in this doc because when he talks about that line making the gaps, which they did, they were a fabulous line. Uh, Emmett Smith, it's, it's okay to make a gap for Emmett Smith. He's still got to score those touchdowns. He was such a good running back, Emmett Smith. Amazing. He, I mean, he, he had the, he had everything. He had this, he had power. He wasn't that big, but he had great power. He had great moves. He had really sure hands. He was electric. I mean, I used to love watching Emmett Smith play football. Yeah, he's and, he's one of those, you know, uh, low center of gravity. Those like small, it's like fast, a Barry Sanders like sort cannonball, of Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really. And how cool is he still? Such a cool bloke. Such a cool <laughs> oh, bloke. Behave. Um, and that, you know, that is. I, I do. I do think that with the, with the triplets, like you do look at them, and they all are really likable, interesting personalities, and so good to watch. Um, but yeah, well, Aikman, Aikman looks like. I don't think one of the one of the players mentions it. He looks like what you imagine an NFL quarterback should look. If there was like a Mount Rushmore of football, yeah, 
Troy Aikman would be the quarterback, wouldn't he? Yeah, it's like if you if you were writing a screenplay and you needed an all American quarterback character, <laughs> yeah. you would you'd, you'd look at Troy Aikman and go, "Ah, oh, that's a bit on the nose." It's, it's, it's that, yeah. that's a bit come too. On. You know, I mean, like, come on, <laughs> he, he he's kind of got this chiselled kind of chiselled features. He's like know. Captain America playing for America's team. Isn't yeah, he? absolutely right. It's too too perfect. Got banged up and carried on playing and played through injuries. Led that team. It was well, they forget to see. I mean, before when they. Brought that line together when that, that line was still gelling for a couple of seasons he got the crap kicked out of him on a regular basis Troy Aikman yeah. he used to get smashed all over the place and then you know you think of that division then when you have the Giants and the, and the Eagles and the Redskins God he used to get I mean there was there were no easy games there for a while home and away when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Let's talk about the Great Wall, the offensive line, because I do, I do love. Fantastic. It is amazing that thing of, you know, they talk about it being like the right unit at the right time, and a bunch of misfits who just came together, and uh, and like really weird outsiders in this kind of huge. Like, there's this guy called Mark Tuane who mm. passed away now, but he big Hawaiian kind of wrecking ball of a man. And then, like, Mark Stepnowski, who's kind of like this hippie, long-haired kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. counterculture kind of figure. My favourite to look at, certainly, is Nate Newton, who people said, if William Perry's the fridge, then this guy's the kitchen. <laughs> and they gave him the nickname, The Kitchen. Well, do you know what? And they told him I'm being £320. There's no way he was £320, right? I know what 300 I've been £280. Yeah. And he's a lot more than three stone more than I was, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a massive man. Absolutely There's a bit there. Huge. He's in a di- he's in a diner in, in that in the one dock, and he says, um, <laughs> "He's just he got this beautiful personality. He's just large than life in every respect." And he says, "Every day's a holiday, and every meal's a banquet." I thought, <laughs> it's so oh, good. Uh, so "You'll good. do." And in that diner, he's got three different sandwiches named after him. <laughs> That's all I want in life, Tom. I just what? want I just want three massive sandwiches named after <laughs> me. Absolute dream. Every meal's a banquet. Really amazing characters. And then there's also Kevin Gogan, who's the guy who got voted the game's dirtiest ever player. Got ejected in the Pro Bowl. That takes a bit of doing. (laughs) 
the end of season friendly and he punches someone <laughs> and gets ejected. And, and like, you know, the, his nickname was Big Nasty. You look, and you look at him and like Troy Aikman said, he was my personal protector. If anyone, if anyone was touching me or roughing me up, he'd just go out and absolutely get him. Yeah. He didn't care. That's what I love. I'm a sucker for as well, mate. There's a bit where he's showing like he's playing like garden bowls with his, his wife and his daughters there. I'm a sucker for big, hard, nasty, horrible players who off the field, like I mentioned Rieniski off the top, who off the field are family men and just, they can, they, yeah. they can leave it at the stadium. Do you know what I mean? And that's what you should be like. Right? Yeah. Gogan's a bloke, you think, I bet he'd be great company. Yeah, totally. But I mean, imagine playing against him. Oh, what a horrible, nasty bastard. Yeah. And that's <laughs> Which it. is what exactly what you want your offensive line to be like. Yeah. It made me really realise, like, too often that side of the game... Mm you don't get the spotlight shined on that. You know, like obviously I'd heard of, I'd heard of all the triplets and I knew exactly, you know, okay, I knew, I knew about all of them and Mm. and they're shown as the success of that. But that team was built on the protection that the offensive line were giving to Troy Aikman, the holes that they were creating for Emmett Smith. You know, like it's like that. They were the key to that. Well, Pam Oliver nails it. Pam Oliver. I, I, I love Pam Oliver anyway. Right. But she nails it. She says without that line, Emmett hasn't got those gaps. Without that line, Troy hasn't got that time. Without that line, Michael hasn't got the time to get open, right? So there's not one of those players in the Hall of Fame, which it blows my mind. They've won three Super Bowls and none of those linemen are in the the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and and we should mention as well, there's a a player that's incredible to watch called Eric Williams who was called Big E and he, (sighs) he, he had a... He had a car accident quite early in his career and uh, never really quite recovered. But um, he blew his knee out, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you know, they say one of the greatest linemen ever to play the game, and uh, you know, a guy who would put Reggie White on his ass, you know, every time he. Well, played. do you know what? That was the thing that struck me as well. Watching that back, some of that footage, when he's manhandling players, he's not manhandling mugs. He's manhandling Reggie White. He's manhandling Bruce Smith. I mean, the the best of the best defensive players, yeah. And he's and he's putting them on their ass. I mean, it was phenomenal. How he's not in the Hall of Fame, I do not know. Yeah. The, the book, the book you ever mentioned there is the Quiet Man as well. And you, look, you look at all those when they talk to that line now, and they talk to the Emmett Smiths on there, and they talk to Troy Aikman. They all still look like football players. They look great. They look like retired football players. Yeah. You got John Gessick on. There. John Gessick, I knew you were going to say that. It's so good. I couldn't believe, like, I, because of the way the football is, and you got the helmet and the pads on, right? I, I could, I could vaguely remember John Gessick, but only ever in helmet and pads, right? So then you think he's playing in the centre of one of the, the meanest lines in NFL history, and he looks like an accountant, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like this mild mannered. He got like a plaid shirt on. You think yeah. you're not him? Are you? And you see him in his real estate office, and he's like, he's this real estate guy. And then, like, off to the left, he's got a framed photo of him in the Super Bowl. But he's just an unassuming guy. Imagine how tough he is. He doesn't look tough, does he? Absolutely amazing. You go into your real estate meeting, and you call him an arsehole. Next thing, he's just dangling you out of the window by your ankle. You you told me this kitchen had three windows. Oh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm not not going to argue with you, I'm not going to argue with you. What it it really highlighted is, I think, like, again, it's kind of what I love about doing this podcast is it kind of makes me constantly reassess how I watch the game and Mm. even last night I was watching the games and it's like you look at the work that the offensive line does snap after snap after snap that's where this game is insane like imagine turning up and your opposite 
someone like Nate Newton or Eric Williams. Oh, what's a long day of work then? All afternoon. You know, and you just know you're lining up inches away from this psychopath. You know, mm. or like you know, like you think you're facing up against Kevin Gogan. Snap after snap after snap. How oh, that snaps. must be absolutely brutal. Well, because another thing that gets levelled as a criticism of uh, of NFL and American football in general right, is the fact that there's, you know, you you don't play both ways. You kind of sit down, and when the offense is on, the defense is off. That sort of thing, and, that, and that's a criticism. And they talk about rugby players got to play for eighty minutes, footballers got to play for ninety minutes. Yeah, I, I get that, but a lot of rugby, and I've played rugby. A lot of rugby is standing around. A lot of rugby is hanging off the side of a ruck or standing still at a line out or waiting for a ball to come out, right? Yeah. If you're playing on the line, every single play, you might only be 10 seconds long, but it's full-on 10 seconds against massive men, yeah. powerful men, right? And then again, and then again, and then again, and then again, right? There's no, you haven't got it. there's no time to relax. No. So that, that time you're on the sideline, you, you're not chilling out. You're probably taking some oxygen in. You know, you're probably trying to get your breath back because you know that you've got to go back in there and do the same thing again. There's there's no let-up. If you're, if, if you're a running back, every single play that you're playing, you're either hitting somebody or getting hit, right? Yeah. Receiver, you've got, to run a, you've got to run your routes flat out. Otherwise, the cornerback is never going to think you're going to get the ball. So even, if, even when it's not coming to you, you've got to go balls out. Right, everything in football, from whistle to whistle, has got to be a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what people don't get that don't don't follow the sport. But you make a good point about the line. I remember I can't remember the commentator years ago talking about it, uh, uh, talking about British fans watching it. He said, "Listen, there's always instant replay. You know, you're not going to miss a touchdown. But every couple of downs, don't watch the ball. Yeah. Just watch the line. And I always do that now. There'll be a couple of plays where I just I think I'm just going to watch the line play now. And bloody hell. And that's sort of the reason that not. When I criticise red, red Zone, I enjoy watching that as well. Yeah, I enjoy it. the battle. I enjoy watching the grunt up front. And what you realise is that is that is seventy percent of the game. Like that is that's the game. That that grunt, that battle, that's the game right there. That's, that's what the, decides and, games. And coaches know that, so all the good coaches will talk about the line with absolute authority because they understand that's where it all comes from. If you haven't got that, you haven't got anything else. Daryl, you mean the world to me, not just because we share the same backfield, but because you sacrificed so much for me. You took care of me as though you were taking care of your little brother. I love you, Daryl, from the bottom of my heart. Andre Garrard, Derek Kennard, Flozell Adams, Larry Allen, Frank Cornish, Ron Stone, John Giesick, George Hegeman, Eric Williams, Everett McIver, Kelvin Garman, Kevin Gogan, Mark Stepnoski, and the late Mark Tourney, Nate Newton, Ray Donaldson, and Solomon Page. Thank you for blessing me with the running lanes you created. You were the very best I ever ran behind. Emma Smith, what you already said, what a fabulous player, right? So there, in his, in his induction speech for the, for the Hall of Fame, mentions by name all of the offensive linemen yeah. that have played with him. Because, you know, you look at all the great running backs and quarterbacks in history, what they've always had as a good line, 
And what they've always done is appreciate that. When Riggins, I still love watching John Riggins back in the 80s play behind the hogs, they called the, the offensive line for the Redskins the hogs. <laughs> Great. You know, every Christmas, he would take them all out for dinner, buy them all a watch. Yeah. You know, without them, he was nothing, and he knew that. It's great. So when your quarterbacks go and you know buy, oh, they got more money these days. So when they go and buy the line of car each, or they go and you know, yeah, because you know that you need those boys. It's it's why we've got uh, producer Simon such an impressive Christmas present, isn't it? Huge Christmas present, <laughs> and he's, he's worth every penny as well. <laughs> Absolutely, he likes to operate in the shadows, producer Simon. He does, but, yeah. but he told us a story where he was with. Uh, I, mean, I wasn't at all jealous, but when he was in the locker room at uh, Lambeau Field. <laughs> keep breathing, keep breathing. Yeah, <laughs> just seeing all the sort of widescreen TVs and things that Aaron Rodgers had bought f- for the offensive line, all these top-end goods. You've got to look after him, mate. You, you've got to look after your line. Amazing, amazing. Absolutely I, was, I tell you what, mate, I tell you how good that team was. We talk about the triplets, right? To not mention Deion Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about characters and big-name players, right? I mean, he was like... The biggest character in football, and he when he when he when he joined that team, and they talk about the triplets. I mean, they they, they don't mention the quadruplets. No, they took him off the 49ers. So much of this era, the eighties but early nineties, is this mm. tug, this battle between the 49ers yeah, yeah. and the Cowboys, and yeah. it, it seemed like every season almost the Cowboys knew they were going to be just facing up against the 49ers, not in the Super Bowl, in the yeah. NFC game, and that was the big game of the season. Oh, there's that great line, mate, when they play the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, and it was 2-8, and a, or it was Hawaiian, and there was the there was a 49er there, one of the, I think he was Hawaiian as well, and he said to the Cowboys, uh, the only way to the Super Bowl is, is through Candlestick Park. Yeah. So they go to Candlestick Park and they beat the 49ers, and 2-8... and a, Hunts him down, fight him. They were mates anyway, I think, and says, Thanks for the directions. <laughs> Real. I love that. Really nice. But before we go on, mate, I've got to mention Dion. I mean, what yeah. Simon, the producer, is brilliant at is finding stuff, right? There was a, I remember there was a Pizza Hut commercial in the 90s where Jerry Jones is signing uh, Dion Sanders. Now, if you don't know Dion Sanders, two of everything. Like he had two nicknames, Neon Dion and Primetime. He played Major League Baseball. He played uh, NFL football, and he played receiver, and he played cornerback. He played both ways. So in that commercial, I can't find it, but I can remember it. He says, so what's it going to be, Dion? He says, football or baseball? He goes, both, boss. He goes, both? Yeah, both. Okay, offense or defense? Both, boss. Both? Both. And then it's like the pizza's like, do you want stuffed crust or extra toppings? And it's both, and he says, both. At the end of it, Jerry goes to him, uh, so what'll it be, Dion? 15, 20 million dollars? He goes, both boss. Right? <laughs> he signed this $35 million contract, which at the time was enormous, right? So what's it going to be, Dion? Football or baseball? Both, boss. Both? Both. Offense or defense? Both. Both? Both. 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 Pizza Hut. Meat lovers or stuffed crust pizza? Both. 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 Want it all? Now Pizza Hut offers our lovers line toppings. Meat lovers, pepperoni lovers, or supreme. Piled high in a stuffed crust pizza. So what'll it be, Dion? 15, 20 million? Both. Both. You'll love the stuff we're made of. There you go. Phone. Producer Simon's already found it. That's why he's earned, he's earned that flat screen TV we're going to have to get him for, for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that Rolex is worth every yeah, penny, there Simon. there you go, there you go. Say. Deion Sanders couldn't live in any other house apart from that house. Yeah. 
the electric gates, you turn up and think this could only. If I had to pick the player whose house that was, you'd know it was Dion. You'd say that's prime time. Yeah, hundred percent. And they got him. They so they snaffled him straight off the 49ers, didn't they? Which was was huge. Was huge. They, you know, and he didn't do much that season. That was the thing. He was he was injured for a lot of it. He did. He was he was you know. If you thought a defensive back was going to win the MVP, you would have thought it'd be him, but it wasn't him. No. We should talk about the kind of what was going on throughout those kind of three or four years because mm. it was a real soap opera, wasn't it? So you had Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson who didn't get on. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy Johnson, well, there, there was there was kind of like, uh, there was tension, wasn't there, between them, I think, for who was it, who wanted control, things like that. Yeah. Um, and um, and they, they won back-to-back Super Bowls, which, you know, is remains the most... And I think, you know, and, and I'm saying this as a Packers fan, I think they would have won that next season if they hadn't have had the, the, uh, the sort of upheaval of Johnson leaving and Switzer coming in. Well, I was going to say, that that's what's so incredible, I think, this story, and I think you touched on it at the start, is they went back-to-back. No one has ever done a three-peat. You know, no. it, is, it is the elusive... It is the elusive thing in NFL history. No one has won three Super Bowls on the bounce. And Jimmy Johnson has the greatest team in in football at the time, undisputed, mm. um, really clicking as a unit. Everything's going well. And he walks away from the Cowboys. It's ex- it's an extraordinary decision. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. Because, I mean, that must have been... It's, it's incredible. I mean, like you said, no one's ever repeated in the, in the Super Bowl era, right? So, and I think they would have done it. And, yeah. and they did. They did it the year after. So they would have. They would have won four Super Bowls in a row. They would have been the best team of all time. Yeah. The season that they didn't win, '94, they got all the way to the NFC Championship game and lost to the 49ers. And it's hmm. the 49ers team that we touched upon when we looked at the 49ers, where yeah. um, you know Jerry Rice in his prime. That's kind of the team that they were coming up against, isn't it? I mean, for Switzer that season, the, <laughs> the pressure was incredible because he, he literally couldn't win. If he won the Super Bowl, they're going to say, well, that's Jimmy Johnson's team. That's Jerry Jones's team. If he doesn't win it, you know, before Jimmy won it with that team. you know, if he, if he won, he wouldn't get any of the credit for it. And if he lost, he's getting all the blame for it. So They bring in Barry Switzer, and it's definitely worth checking out. The he's docu- mental. The, document, the documentary <laughs> of the season uh, uh, where they win in 95. Barry Switzer is such a mental character. Really I'm good also value. Think, really I good watch value. that. And you think like being a Premier League football manager or being, you know, but the scrutiny they're under over there in the NFL, and because you could, part of your contract is to do those post-game presses and those bloody media weeks and all the other stuff that he must get asked the same shit all the time by idiots sometimes as well, right? By every everyone and their uncle asking you questions, and I just thought Switzer and all of those things looked like he was on the verge of a breakdown all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and he's always just shouting, and he seems, he seems very funny. I mean, what 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 it struck me as is all of his players said that he was a a player's coach, and I think I think what he was doing was he was taking the heat in the media. He was kind of putting all the attention on him, and he was kind of per, you know coaching the personality of the players. But kind of the story, you know, the story of Barry Switzer coming in. One of the players said it was like they were told they won in spite of the coaching. <laughs> like I think, yeah, I was just going to mention it. Daryl Johnson, yeah, Moose Johnson said that, didn't he? Yeah, and, yeah. And he, he's almost loath to say it, but I, I think a lot of the players there were dropping hints that he wasn't the right coach for the group of players that we had. Yeah. And if I've talked about the book, if you if you look at um, Boys Will Be Boys, you need you need a really strong dominant personality to do anything like rein those those players in. 
And I don't think Switzer was that person. And it, it seemed like a bit of a free for all in terms of like, well, I think there's a, you know, there's a reason the book's called Boys Will Be Boys because like the lifestyle around the Dallas Cowboys, they were they, I mean, they were all media personalities. They all had their own TV shows or radio shows, but they were partying a hell of a lot, weren't they? And not there wasn't really hiding that fact. And there was kind of lots of tales of like infractions and arrests and things. Switzer like that. says that one bit, which I love. He says, "I want you in bed." What do you say? It's like I want you in bed on a Friday night. I don't care whose bed it is, yeah, but it. just be, just be in bed. <laughs> that's exactly it. Michael Irving describes it as a feeling like he was in the he's being in the Beatles, and he'd be oh, like, you just you just come home from a game and your house would just be full of people and women, and they'd just be like. Here we go. Let's go. It's just like it's just what a life. It's like producer Simon's house on on a Sunday. It's the same sort of after a good record. John, because they were America's team, because they're like often played in in the in the white kit. You know, they got the they got the star on the side of the helmet. They got this sort of uh, all American boy at quarterback, and they they were known for that sort of player. So back in the day, you had your Frank Giffords and all the sort of they were seen as this clean cut embodiment of the American spirit. That book, you think of the Raiders in the seventies. Well, the Cowboys in the 90s were at least as wild as the Raiders in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they got the, the PR fellow who does the America's game for Super Bowl 30. Talk about, imagine being in charge of like public relations for the Cowboys. And, and <laughs> just fighting fire seven days a week. It's a, it's a hell of a job. <laughs> a hell of a job. Um, it, it should also be worth mentioning the poor Buffalo Bills who came mm. up against them every time in the Super Bowl it's got abs- like was it three consecutive Super Bowl defeats for the Bills I think yeah like four, maybe even four, four think, they lost yeah. four in a row that's right they were there they were the team that were up against them four, four times in a row and didn't win <sighs> which must have been so tough to watch just Groundhog Day up against the Cowboys again in the Super Bowl and not winning again it's just a weird quirk of the NFL that you know um, if, if it hadn't have been two conferences then I'm sure that Buffalo team would have would have won a Super Bowl because there were teams that beat the, the Cowboys. Yeah. You know, but they weren't one of them. They, 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 their their defence and their offence weren't a good match for Dallas's offence and defence. And, and similarly, it makes me feel for Steve Young, because like we talked about like, you know, the 49ers team of Steve Young and Jerry Steve Rice, Young. and it's like, like you said, like Steve Young's such an incredible quarterback, but will never be spoken about in the same league as Joe Montana because the Cowboys kept stopping him from getting to the Super Bowl, really. He got one, didn't he? But he I could, he could have had three. Yeah, very They, they, they just him. kept coming up against this Cowboys team in the NFC Championship game and they only beat them once. It's it's a weird thing with the NFL. It's, it's something that I like and it's something at the, at the same time, there's often times I don't like it. So I, I knew that growing up, my dad, was, like I said, was a, was a Redskins fan. I was a Packers fan. I knew that would never be a Super Bowl. You know, I'm never going to see that game, which is why a lot of the times, especially in in that period, the NFC Championship game, I think we mentioned this before, was 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 the game of the season. So when you watch the, the 49ers against the Cowboys, that was going to be a better game than the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was a great era of football for, not for the Cowboys, but just for football as well. Real mm. exciting personalities, you know. Well, uh, free agency came in around that time. So, which had a knock-on effect with salaries, and I think you know it went up again when they were already well-paid. Players seemed to be a lot more on the back of people like Deion Sanders. Became a lot more media savvy. You know, they they realised that it was 
to quote Sonny Werblin's wife, show business. Yeah, yeah, it was a great, and for me, because I was, what was I then? I was just finishing university. I was 97, I finished. So for me, it was it was a great time because I was I was in my 20s and I said, love sat down on a set, you know, Sunday night was my, I don't a heavy Friday, a heavy Saturday, and then Sundays I could sit down and watch the NFL. These yeah. days I haven't got the heavy Fridays and Saturdays. <laughs> no, just... <laughs> crushing. I mean, if it's just a crushing monotony of, of life in general. Just praying for overtime. <laughs> just praying. I love for I love playoff overtime. So it can. I mean, theoretically, go on forever. <laughs> if we could get two perfectly matched teams in in the playoffs, I would never have to go home again. Imagine that, you're only in ninth overtime period. <laughs> Just loving it. <laughs> 14 hours into the game, yes. And the Cowboys haven't won the Super Bowl since, have they? No. I like Jerry Jones, right? It's like with Al Davis. I, they're football people. Yeah. You cannot accuse Al Davis or Jerry Jones of not being died in the wool football people. Yeah, absolutely, they yeah. Um, but Jerry Jones, because he can't be hands-off, I think it's the same reason the Raiders didn't get lasting success when Madden left. Is because you need to be a certain sort of coach to work with that sort of owner. Yeah. And those sort of coaches don't get results. I'm sure there's, a, there's exceptions to that rule. But then part of me thinks Jerry Jones, when he talks about someone accused him of meddling in, in a press conference, he said, I brought this team up from nothing. I put <laughs> yeah, everything well, into this team. He really, he really reacts there, doesn't he? Oh, he was <laughs> not like, happy. But, and he's team. right. You know, They were a 1-15 team. He put loads of his own money into it. He, yeah. he, he was the GM, so he, he was in... Those bloody draft picks, a lot of those were down to him. I mean, a lot of that, that work was down to him. So, yeah, he did have a vested interest in it more than a lot of owners had. But, I mean, obviously Jimmy Johnson couldn't deal with it. Barry Switzer couldn't deal with it. And then you go, you know, what have they done since then? And they think they've always struggled because Jerry Jones is looming large in the background. It's like Jason Garrett, you know, that was never going to... No. And I think the, the, the Raiders are the same thing with Al Davis. And it'd be interesting to see what, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the Cowboys post-Jerry Jones. That is a long time for a team like the Cowboys to go without. Well, Texas you know. is such a football place as well. I mean, football is absolute king in Texas. They, they, it, it is borderline a religion in Texas. I mean, it's bigger than everything else combined, you know? So yeah, absolutely. they're well overdue another successful team. Last thing I'd probably say about the Cowboys that bothers me. They've got this incredible stadium, right? The AT&T Stadium is incredible. The direction that it was built in means in the final quarter of every game, the sunlight comes directly into the eyes of a team going a certain way. Do you ever watch that? Do you ever realise that? Oh, no, no, no. So, like, you, there's one team, and it's quite often the Cowboys who always end up playing, and you see the players, like, they literally can't see because the sun. You just think, in this day and age, when you're spending that much money on a stadium, surely they'd have yeah. thought about that. Surely. And it's, I tell you what I do like about that stadium, which, yeah. which is on the plus side of it, though, is, is it was the first modern stadium that would cater for standing fans. Oh, really? There's, there, there's big standing sections in that stadium, yeah. It's weird. When I went to watch the Steelers play in Pittsburgh a couple of, a couple of seasons ago, there's a whole section of the opposite, directly opposite where I was sat, uh, in the corner of the one end zone. There's like this big walkway, this big circular ramp up to the top. And that's where a lot... I mean, it was never meant to be a standing area, but people want to stand up they and watch football there, and drink yeah. a beer, so they stand there and watch the game. You know? <laughs> Like the Beatles traveling. Stuff like coming home from a game, on the road, going to my house. And, and people are at your house. 
women are in your house. What is this? I'm a big fan of yours, and where's your clothes? What are you doing? You know, it got to being like a traveling rock band.